listeners, welcome to day 230 of oh, the Bible in one year segment. So what you should have read to be prepared for this segment is Esther chapters 1 through 3, 1 Corinthians all reference 17 through 34, Psalm 35, 17 through 28, and Proverbs 21, 19 through 20. So our focus for today is going to be on Acts 21. This is 1 through 16. So we have just seen Paul finish up giving his farewell address to the elders of the Ephesian church. We have seen that Paul's address to these men moved them to tears, not because he was leaving them, but because he told them they were not going to see him again. And now today we're going to see Paul leave Ephesus and continue on his journey to Jerusalem, and thus ultimately on his journey to Rome. So we're going to pick up in 21 verse 1, which says this, After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out the sea and sailed straight to coast. The next day we went to Rhodes, and from there to Patera, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was on was on was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the, through the, through the spirit they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. So on this leg of Paul's journey, right, gets him from Asia Minor to Israel, right? And so we see once again there's a warning that comes from the disciples in Tyre. And it is the second recorded report of impending trouble in the city of Jerusalem. But again, Paul does not heed this warning because Paul already knows what's going to happen. And he knows that it may not be for his good, but it is for the good of the gospel that these things are going to happen. What we're saying here is that sometimes central warnings are to prepare the believer for trouble rather than cause the believer to prepare to it, to it, uh, to prepare an escape from it. So that took us up to verse 6. Now we're going to pick up in verse 7, which says, We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So who is this Philip the Evangelist that we see referenced here? Right? So this is not Philip the Apostle. Right? So the reference to the seven or one of the seven tells us 
this sloppiest rat. So this was one of the men who was appointed over in Acts 6 to minister to the widows, right? And so his nickname suggests that the Lord redeemed many through Philip's witness. So now let's pick up in verse 10, which says this, After there had been a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says in this way, The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Agabus was one of the prophets who foretold famine that would come about in AD 46, and now he predicts quite correctly Paul's arrest and Paul's imprisonment, right? So the closer Paul got to Jerusalem, the clearer it was revealed to him. Through the work of the Holy Spirit, either speaking directly to him or speaking through others to him, what was in store for him. So it's important to note, right, is that Agabus' prophecy did not say that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. It simply told what was ahead if we do go, right, so we should take notice of the New Testament, we should also take notice of the New Testament never records an instant in which the legitimate gift of prophecy was used to give personal guidance to individuals in matters that could be decided by the principles already revealed in God's written word. So what we're saying here is that decisions related to things like moral issues, buying or selling, marriage, home and family, must be made by applying and obeying the principles of God's word, and not on the basis of a quote-unquote prophecy, which is essentially, let me say that in quotes, we're saying something someone tells you when they claim to speak for God, because there's going to be a lot of people that are going to claim they speak for God, and they don't actually speak for God. Because sometimes, sometimes God will use such a message to confirm the direction He gives in His Word, or to encourage, to comfort, and or to guide a person in His or her God-given mission. So now let's pick up over in verse 12, and take it through verse 16, which will be the end of this section, which says, when we heard this, we and the people were, uh, we, we and the people there, pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, he gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way to Jerusalem. 
some of the some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Men Menasson, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. So what what's going on here, right? So we see that Naziah of the majority, or even the unanimous opinion of genuine caring Christians is not necessarily God's will, right? So we see that Paul appreciated their deep concern, yet he knew God's plan and was determined to follow his course, even though he would suffer through times in prison and possibly death in prison and possibly death for the sake of the Lord Jesus, right? So what we've seen here in this little small section at the very beginning of chapter 21 is that many disciples as well as the prophet Agabus warned of the suffering that would come to Paul if he went to Jerusalem. And these Christians interpreted the prophetic messenger a sign that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Right? But we see that Paul have recognized the truth and the real purpose of the revelation, which was meant to prepare him for what was ahead. He did not accept the disciples' sincere interpretation of the prophecy, which was that God was warning Paul about these things so that Paul could avoid these things. No, 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 he didn't accept relied on the person, he relied on the personal guidance of the Holy Spirit and God's word to him personally for this important decision. And so what we need to get out of this is that we can consider future plans and future ministry. We ought to wait and base our decisions on personal confirmation from God through his word and prayer not only on the advice of others, that's where we will pick up tomorrow as we see Paul finally arrive in the city of Jerusalem. And so in order for you to be prepared for that discussion, you need to read Esther 4 through 7, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 26, Proverbs 36, 1 through 12, and Proverbs 21. 21 through 22. Hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to day 221 of through the Bible in one year. Something you should have read to be prepared for today is Esther chapters 4 through 7, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 26. Psalm 36, 1 through 12, and Proverbs 21, 21 through 22. So we're going to continue on in Acts, we'll be in Acts chapter 21, verses 17 through 36. So what we have, what we saw yesterday, was we saw Paul continue on his journey to Jerusalem. And more importantly, we saw again a prediction that Paul was going to face hardship and persecution upon arrival in Jerusalem. We also saw that Paul was well aware of this through his continuous awareness of the presence and the 
prompting of the Holy Spirit, and that not only was Paul aware of the hardships and persecutions that he was going to face in Jerusalem, but he was also prepared to suffer them in order to advance the gospel. And so now today we're going to see Paul arrive in Jerusalem, and in, within the first week or so of his arrival in Jerusalem, that he is arrested on false charges, he is handed over to the Roman authorities, and that all of this will ultimately lead to his final destination, the end of the book of Acts, and that would be Rome. So now let's pick up in chapter 21, verse 17. Which says this, when we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God, and they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. So do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourselves are that you yourself, excuse me, are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that you should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. Right? So we see here that Paul and James were clearly friends. We also see that the believers were joyful about Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. And by the way, that took us up to about verse 20. Six, we see that James's report of many thousands of Jewish believers demonstrate that the church itself did not stop growing in Jerusalem while the Gentile mission was going on. But then we see kind of a problem arise, right? That we see that some of these people thought that Paul was telling Jewish people to abandon Judaism, right? So we know that this information is clearly false, and we know that it was likely spread by the Judaizers and their sympathizers, who essentially wanted the Gentile converts to become practicing Jews themselves. And so James has a solution to this problem. James makes a proposal, and his proposal is that Paul assist four men in completing a Nazarite vow. Then something similar to what Paul had done earlier in Acts, so that would be Acts 18, 18. Only this vow was formal. It was formal. It involved going to the temple and doing all sorts of things. And we see at the very end of this, right, that Paul agreed to do this. Paul agreed and that he went to the temple 
with the formal wax. So I'm going to see that. Let me pick up the music button. Okay, so it says, um, so that's the next verse, which says, the next day Paul took along the men and purified himself along with them. And then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end for each of them. So Paul went to the temple and did all of this stuff with them. And so now when we pick up in verse 27, we're gonna, this is picking up a week later now in verse 27, right? So here's what that says. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They had, they had previously seen Trophius, the Ephesian in the city, with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. Immediately the gates were shut, right? So what we see here, right? So Paul goes to the temple about a week after this has all happened, right? And some Jews from the province of Asia, which were probably from Ephesus, saw him enter the temple, and they had recognized someone who had been with him in Jerusalem, right? Or they thought they recognized someone who had been with him in Jerusalem going into the temple, and this man was Trophimus, the Ephesian, who was a Gentile, right? And so we see they bring three charges against Paul, right? So they bring a threefold charge against Paul. They were totally false, right? So they claim that this, uh, they say this man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. So in other words, they were saying that Paul the Jew was an anti-Semite. And we know that's false because Paul the Jew was not an anti-Semite. Was not anti-Semite. We also know that Paul did not denigrate the law or the temple. Right? And then it says, this in this in the next section of verse twenty seven or excuse me verse twenty eight and besides he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place right so Paul did not bring a Gentile into the temple Paul would not ever bring a Gentile into the temple because he needed to bring a Gentile into the temple who had not become a full fledged Jew in the sense that you could become one without being born, in other words, if, if you were a Gentile and you converted into Judaism and you were circumcised, you were allowed to enter into the temple. But if you were just a Gentile who was just a Gentile, you couldn't enter into the temple because you would defile the temple, right? So he would not have brought a Gentile into the temple because he would have defiled it. So what happened here, right? This group of Jews from the province of Asia assumed that Trophimus was with Paul, right? They assumed he was with Paul because they had seen him with Paul and they thought they might have saw somebody that looked kind of sort of like him but was not actually him 
right? And so what this reveals is it reveals I think the worst attitude that was born from a deep seated dislike of Paul. They didn't like Paul. They didn't like the fact that Paul was telling these Gentile converts that you don't need to become a full-fledged practicer of Judaism in order to be saved. So we don't like it, and we're going to do everything we can to prevent this. So this last charge, this charge of defiling the temple, was the most disturbing of the charges that these people brought against Paul, because it would have made the temple unusable, right? So what do we see here? So we see that after they did this, right? So starting in verse 30, the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut, right? So this essentially means that Jerusalem as a city was given over to hostility, right? So in other words, you see a city that is full of rioters they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. Which means they were getting kind of violent. So we're seeing a lot of vigilante justice going over here. Right? And they made the city a terrifying place. So it, it led to the self-appointed vigilantes forming a lynch mob. That's essentially what they did. They formed a lynch mob. And so what do, what do they do? They, they shut the temple gates. Right? So we're not the steps, the fire. 
Anderson the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting to get rid of him. So we all know that the Romans were not allowed inside the temple itself, but they had built a high fortress called An- Antonia overlooking the walls of the temple so they could be able to keep an eye on the temple and move in if needed, right? So they know their port to the commander of the Roman soldiers in Jerusalem came from the posts in this fortress and possibly other posts throughout the city because this riot would have spread throughout the city of Jerusalem because everybody, every within the city of Jerusalem would have heard, hey, they think the temple has been defiled and desecrated by this one man, so let's all get up in arms so we can put an end to this, right? So we don't know the time between the mob season Paul and the arrival of the soldiers, so we can't assume that it was hours, right? So it was probably a matter of 15, 20, 30 minutes, depending on how fast Roman soldiers would have moved, but it was most definitely not instantaneous. Paul was not beaten for hours, he may have been beaten for 30 minutes, it may have been an hour. We know it was not hours and hours and hours. But however long until the soldiers arrived, we know that the mob did not stop beating Paul. They were constantly beating Paul. They wanted Paul dead, and they wanted him dead in the worst possible way. They kept beating him, right? And so we see the arrive and they immediately take custody of Paul. Not so much because they think he's done wrong, but more than likely just to save his life, right? So they say, they say they bound him with two chains, which suggests he was securely bound to soldiers, right? And so because the commander, because of the uproar, Commanders are not able to get a real clear report of what's going on because Paul is still there and still causing some violent stirrings within this lynch mob. Right? He orders Paul to be taken up to the barracks to get Paul out of the scene, out of the way, so that he can get a clear understanding of what is happening. And when we say the once they get him to the stairs, right, so they, they're able to walk him to the stairs, but this mob then becomes so violent that they see the Romans taking away this man they want to kill, right, and become so violent that the soldiers then had to pick him up, put him on his shoulder, put him on their shoulders to keep the crowd from killing him so they could carry him up the stairs leading to the fortress. And so we now know that the crowd is so loud and so boisterous and so violent that the only clear thing that could be heard from within the crowd, right, from within this entire massive chaotic scene, is the crowd's cry that Paul being done away with. They weren't calling for Paul to be incarcerated, they were calling for his death this point in time, right? And so that's where we're going to pick up tomorrow. As we see Paul attempt to undress this lynch mob to try to kind of alleviate their fears to see if maybe he can defuse the situation that the Romans haven't been able to defuse. 
Esther chapters 10 and 10 through, uh, excuse me, chapters 8 through 10, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 13, 13, Psalm 37, 1 through 11, and Proverbs 